Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Brakes? We can save you 15% on that. We have OE quality Duralask brake pads and rotors in stock, ready for pickup or delivery. We also have calipers, brake fluid, tools, and anything else you'll need to do the job right. When you get Duralask pads and rotors together, you'll save 15%. It's just part of what makes us America's number one brakes destination. Get in zone, It's the Son of a Butch podcast. We come to you every Wednesday. This week's guest, Dr. Sasha McKenzie. Um, he is doing some groundbreaking work in biomechanics. Um, if you're a golf nerd and you're trying to hit the golf ball further, you're going to know who he is. You're going to know his name. And we're going to talk about a lot of really, really cool stuff. Um, he's someone that um, I think is doing groundbreaking work to try and help golfers get better. So very, very excited for everyone to be able to listen to him talk. The work he's done with Matt Fitzpatrick to help him hit the golf ball further is some really, really cool stuff. But before we dive in, I want to thank our partners at Rapsodo and share more about their exciting award-winning combine that is launching this month. I'm partnering with them to give away two virtual golf lessons. All you have to do is complete a combine on your MLM or the new MLM2 Pro during the month of August. Each combine is an entry, so the more you take, the more chances you have to win. If you've been listening since the beginning, you know that I'm a massive fan of both their launch monitors and the new MLM2 Pro. Um, I think it's a game changer. It's got two integrated cameras, Doppler radar giving you three ways to see your swing. It's easy to use, extremely portable, and provides the same metrics competitors do at a fraction of the price, which I think is really, really important um, to have tech that is affordable to help you with your game. In addition to the Combine, they're also still giving Son of a Butch listeners an exclusive discount. Code CH3 will get you $70 off your purchase of a MLM2 Pro on rapsodo.com. They'll throw in a free dozen of the RPT balls to measure spin. You also get a 
first year of premium membership for free. Again, that's code CH3 at rapsodo.com for $70 off. And don't forget about their award-winning combines. And now let's get to the interview with Sasha McKenzie. My guest is Dr. Sasha McKenzie. Sasha, um, I'm sure our paths have crossed, but I mean, you're one of the names that in golf instruction in 2023, uh, we hear a lot. So uh, I'm really, really excited to get a chance to talk to you and, and kind of pick your brain because uh, with all of the the doctor degrees and all of the biomechanics stuff, you're you're a hell of a lot smarter than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I, I know uh, an awful lot about very little. That's what I like to say. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack. Um, I want to talk about the work you've done with Matt Fitzpatrick and the stack system. Um, biomechanics and all of that, um, your work with Rapsodo, the combine that you've helped them come up with. But Sasha, in 2023 in golf instruction and for all the golfers out there listening, I think there it's a very interesting time in, in instruction and um, you're on the front lines of it as I am. And I think a lot of people are... I mean, on the lessons that I give, I feel, I feel like a lot of people come in and they're hearing these buzzwords, they're hearing this stuff on social media, and they're they're trying. I see so many players that I'm the doctor, and they've got the broken wrist, and they've got the cast on the wrist, and then you check the wrist, and the wrist isn't broken, and they said, "Well, yeah," but somebody said, "If your wrist is broken, you've got to put a cast on it." And you're like, "Yeah, but your your wrist isn't broken." So, and I think there's so many players, and 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 people trying to play that hear all of this information. So science versus sport, science versus art, how do we balance that? And how do you view all of that? Right. Well, I, I think, you know, there are two big, big areas in golf, uh, speed and, and accuracy, you know, and I believe that science, um, needs to dominate speed. So n no one could ever really, in, in my opinion, maybe this is a bit arrogant, could ever say anything to me um, about the, you know, there's very small wiggle room for someone to talk about the art of speed. You know, it's, it's hard physics. Um, uh, I know what the body can do to generate speed. Um, it's just physics principles. And then you overlay some biomechanics concepts on that. Accuracy um on the other hand there you even as a scientist you, you're mostly forced to uh listen or you should be listen to the folks that have experience um you know that that's i think why golf instruction right now is so interesting and maybe you always will be because you're I, I say this a lot i spend a lot of time looking for research that discusses the repeatability of a, of a movement, not just in golf, but it could be typing a keyboard. It could be throwing a dart. And to date, I'm not aware of any study that said this way of moving is more repeatable from a human perspective than this other way of moving. So that, that means that the instructor on the lesson tee who's given 2000 lessons, um, has, you know, I, I should listen to them as a scientist. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, I, I'm going to likely tr try to trump them when it comes to um, maybe what's the best way to increase speed. But, you know, there's a whole lot of middle ground in there. 
those are my thoughts on on the art and science of it. I saw a quote that you said that you think there is a natural tendency for people with regards to golf swings, not only their own golf swings, but instructors as well for aesthetics, that we look towards what looks really, really good. And it's something that, you know, when people ask me what my favorite golf swings are, I get asked that question a lot. I always ask, I always ask the question from an aesthetic standpoint or from a function standpoint, because from, and golf is not an aesthetics contest, right? It's not figure skating. It's not gymnastics because if it was people like Adam Scott and Nelly Corda, they'd win every week because they'd get nine eights and nine nines from the judges because the look of their golf swing is, is very, very beautiful. It's very classic. It's very unencumbered by a lot of idiosyncrasies, but the kid that I'm drawing a blank on his name that led the, the, the open championship after the first day, I'm watching him hit balls like Tuesday. He's six, eight, he's got 200. He's cruising at 200 and you can see, and I was talking to Dave Phillips about it um, over breakfast one morning. And he said, you know, the amazing thing is you can see that that golf swing is 100% based on function. He grew up in South Africa, probably didn't have a lot of access to a lot of modern club fitting like we do here in the States where you can get club fit everywhere and there's tons of equipment. So if you look at the way he swings the golf club, it looked to me like it was functional. He probably played with golf clubs that were too short growing up. He's 6'8". He had to try and get back down to the ball. Tons of knee drive. But what I think is really great, Sasha, in, in today's age, we know enough through people like yourself, through technology, that in the past, we would somebody would change that. But now through all the tech, through launch monitor data, through biomechanics data, through 3D, you can, you can quantify if he can repeat it and if it works. And I think we're seeing so many more golf swings like that that are functional and they're not necessarily aesthetically the best, but they work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you know, I, I contacted by a lot of mini tour players to emphasize your, your, your point. And um, I initially know nothing about their statistics. So that's the first question I want to know is, well, send me what, you know, what, send me some of your stats. Let's see your strokes gain and, you know, the four areas. Um, let's see, uh, you know, a, a track man session where I can look at your variability, but I don't, they don't send me any of that stuff. They say, well, you know, what do you see in the swing? Well, I'm like, I have no idea. You know, you, right. you could be like, and all these golf swings are, you know, to use your word functional enough. If you've got, you know, um, to, to play at the elite level, if you've got, um, a hundred mile an hour club head speed with your seven iron and you can hit the ball a certain height in the air, there's a whole world of uh, <clears throat> options for you to swing a golf club. You know, uh, if you're swinging it at 86 miles an hour, uh, you know, your driver club head speeds 104. Well, then we definitely have to work on some things, you know. Um, but yeah, I ju just showing me the aesthetics of your swing, that means so little to me um, without some context, you know. Um, if I also, if I know that you're struggling with a, a hook or a block or some particular um, systematic miss, then I might be able to associate that with what I'm seeing aesthetically. But yeah, I, 
it's crazy to me that you could even be think about fixing a swing without knowing what uh, the, you know, the ball flight dad is saying. My, my dad's youngest brother, my uncle Billy, um, you know, my dad, when he was working with Tiger and, you know, everybody was trying to swing like Tiger, get the club in these beautiful positions. And Adam Scott, you know, did a great job at kind of mimicking. And I did that. I mean, I taught a lot of players in the early 2000s to swing the club like Tiger. And, and it worked, right? Get the club wider and things like that. But I remember we were watching Tiger hit balls one day and my uncle Billy was there and he said, you know, the amazing thing is we're all trying to have people swing like Adam Scott and Tiger Woods. Nobody tries to get anybody to swing like Lee Trevino. Nobody tries to get anybody to swing like Hale Irwin. Some of these incredibly functional, somewhat idiosyncratic moves on, on what they did. Um, you live in the biomechanics world. And, and I saw a quote that you said, biomechanics in sports is about discovering ways to perform a skill that moves our bodies fast and accurately while preventing injury. Not everybody that's playing golf that is a average golfer. And I always throw everybody that isn't playing competitively on a regular basis as average golfers, right? I mean, everybody, the majority of people that play our sport from a golf standpoint are, are regular everyday golfers. They're not elite competitors. They're not elite performers. So when the average 15, 20 handicapper listens to this podcast and we're talking about biomechanics, I think it it sometimes freaks people out because one, they, they don't know what these terms are. They don't know what it means. For you, what's the easiest way for everyone listening to have an understanding and and have a better relationship with the term biomechanics. What does it mean to you and how can it help golfers? Well, it, biomechanics is, is essentially physics, but uh, applied to bones and muscles specifically. Um, so, uh, by, you know, deals with the, the forces that cause motion and uh, with a golfer, the forces are originating from the muscles and those muscles pull on bones to create movement. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of principles, biomechanical principles and physical laws, Newton's laws that we can apply to understand better ways to swing a golf club. I saw also in doing some, you know, research for this two terms that, that, that you've used external validity and internal validity. What do those mean and, and, and how can we apply them to our own game? Sure. So I, I think they, they, they apply specifically to uh, answering a, a question. You know, so if you want to know, okay, I would say, uh, is uh, anchoring a putter better for improving putting performance? There, there's a question. Okay. You know, so we got some biomechanics involved in that. Um, if you anchor the putter, will you putt better? So if you're going to answer that using science, you need to conduct an experiment. My philosophy is first to maximize internal validity. So that, that means that you're sure that whatever you discover in the experiment is due to how you manipulated the experiment. And you would manipulate the experiment by saying, let's have golfers putt normally conventional with a regular you know, 34-inch putter and then let's have them putt with a longer putter where they anchor to their chest. Or maybe we're comparing a forearm lock putter, wh whatever it is. Um, and if I find a difference in performance, then I know it's due to 
the differences in those putters, the short one versus the the anchored or the non-anchored versus one, the anchored. One works better than the other. In the conditions for the experiment, I have very yeah. high internal validity. So there's no other possible explanation for why this was a difference. So things I would do, I would do it in a lab where we don't have inconsistent greens. We don't have people moving in the background. We don't have differences in temperature. Um, and everything would be very balanced. You know, you'd hit one putt with this putter, another putt with this putter. You'd hit, you know, 18 with one putter, 18 with another putter. Your next participant in, it would be the reverse order where they would start with, you know, the anchored versus the, the standard. Um, but that has low external validity. Someone would say, yeah, but they don't have to read their own putt. They're not, they don't have the nerves of trying to sink a putt um, in, uh, you know, a major championship. So then you'd want to try and once you confirm that if, if everything's tight, tight experiment, high internal validity, there is a difference. Then you see if that difference is strong enough to exist in the real world. You want to maximize external validity. Those uh, studies tend to be tougher to do, but you would try and say, okay, I'm going to try to get 20 tour players to play half the season with an using anchor. And then they switch and 20 other ones to do the reverse. And we track the results that would have, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough example to actually recreate, but that would have high external validity, right? You'd be like, yeah, okay. In the real world, does this show up? Yeah. Because I think a lot of times golfers and specifically golfers that are trying to compete are practicing almost in a vacuum, right? They're, they're trying to practice in a very, very controlled environment thinking that, okay, if I practice enough in a very specific controlled environment, that is going to have some sort of effect on the outcome. But the problem is the game that, that we're playing from a golf standpoint is so random. It's so all over the place. And I think I see more people practicing, like you said, they're trying to get this internal validity to where if I repeat this movement pattern over and over and over and over again in a very controlled space to where the lies are flat, you know, the, the block practice versus random practice, I think most golfers tend to stay in block practice constantly. And the random practice is for them, the random practice is the playing of the game, not random practice. The random practice is, okay, well, now I'm going to, I've worked on this for two weeks now. I mean, I, Sasha, I have so many players that come and take lessons that are trying to compete on mini tours and say, okay, so would you suggest what I take, you know, six months off? I'm like, no, you need to play next week. You have to play. You can't do this in a, in a laboratory. You have to go play. So how, how do you balance those two between the internal validity to where you're trying to have a controlled environment and then the external to where you're saying, okay, let me go see if any of this works, as you said, in the real world. The real world is going and playing golf, putting scores down on a scorecard, which has nothing to do with, as you said, aesthetics or the way things look or the way you've practiced. How can our listeners balance the two? Because I, I feel in the 25 years that I've been, you know, giving lessons, I think most people stay in the lab and they just want to get back to the lab too, right? If they play bad, they just say, just get me back to the range. Get me back to the range. Get me back to the range. 
Well, you know, I think we have, we're, there's kind of two related concepts. There's the research concept of internal, external validity, which is important to answer the question. But then we've got uh, practicing, like you mentioned, block um, versus <clears throat> versus random, like how much what I would say contextual interference do you have? And and I think <clears throat> that the more elite you you get at a skill, there's a concept called challenge point, which I'm, you know, uh, it's kind of a rough guide to how best to optimize your practice. It's held up pretty well and the idea is that the the better you get at a skill the more you should be challenged the more you can randomize that practice so i was just in the backyard this uh this evening with my (coughs) 10 year old daughter sienna kind of new to golf and we're doing just practicing 20 yard pitch shots you know trying to make clean contact so i'm fluffing up we got some nice grass in the backyard i'm fluffing up every single one you know they're and, and in fact, if she go to hit it and it kind of settled down, I'd fluff it up because she's at the <clears> point <throat> where I, she could make what's really what I consider to be nice technique. You know, um, uh, if you watch golf better Tucson, I love his chipping stuff. Um, so in uh, pitching, great technique, bad lie means it's going to be really tough for her to make a contact. And then she'll think, well, that was a bad swing, but it wasn't. It was just a really tough scenario. So I think beginning golfers, the block practice, the easy conditions, set the challenge points so you're you're succeeding enough where you're reinforcing the good stuff you're doing. But then you get closer to tour players, and I think tour players spend too much time <clears throat> in block. You know, I think do enough to build up some confidence, but just enough. You know, hey, you want to hit four or five footers in a row to make sure that your line's good and you check yourself in the mirror and whatever, that's fine. But you should be spending the majority of your time like, if I was working with a tour player and they're pitching, you know, or, or practice, you should be just dropping those things, you know, throw them on the ground, whatever lie it ends up in that that's where you play out of, you know, and maybe even seeking out, uh, harder lies and harder situations, you know? Um, so I think that in general, um, the, the more elite you get, the more practice time should be spent kind of more random, more things that, that make it, that make it challenging. Uh, you know, that's that. And if you have a, even an elite level, if you have someone struggling, you know, maybe someone's getting a little yippy with the chips, then, <laughs> Hey, maybe spend a half an hour hitting your pitch shots off tees, right? Nothing wrong with that. Or I get no problem with a five inch hole for putting, right? If, if you're struggling with that and you need to build some confidence, hitting eight foot putts with a five inch hole is great. Whereas someone like Aaron Baddeley, he could probably spend a lot of time putting at a three inch hole, right? It'd be like, okay, let's make sure I'm really dialed in here. And then uh, he's the added benefit moving to the course and the the four and a quarter looks like um, the Grand Canyon. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 
Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Obviously, um... You've got a lot of, you know, accolades, uh, you know, for the work you've done with Matt Fitzpatrick, the stack system, which I'm seeing so many players, not only at the tour level um, using, but so many juniors and so many amateur golfers are coming in with that in their bag. Um, talk to us about how you met Matt and what the stack system is. Sure. So I, I met Matt um, through his coach, Mike Walker. So uh, they came to the conclusion 2018 that Matt needed more speed. Um, he wanted to be one of the best players in the world. He wants to be the best player in the world. He wants to win majors. And funny enough, Claude, um, it was at the the Masters playing, you know, against guys like DJ. DJ in particular in hole 11. Uh, Matt's got a four iron in at, at Augusta. <laughs> DJ's got an eight iron. Well, you you can't you can't do that over four rounds and expect yeah. to beat some like DJ, like D DJ's just as good at putting short game. So in order to have any chance, the car's just faster. Yeah. You, yeah. You, yeah, exactly. You need, you need to, you need to get the speed up. Um, so, uh, they, they gave me a, a call up. I, you know, spent a few days with Matt. Um, we worked on some mechanic stuff, but really, uh, the gains came, all the gains came from uh, using the stack system. So it's, it's basically a, a weighted club. So you can, you can do overload and overspeed training with it, but the magic's in the app. So it, it sets up customized programming for you. It tells you exactly what weight to load on. Um, rest timers pop up, it tracks your records. So 
you know, Fitz's program is going to be different than someone else's program. And then when you finish a program, it reanalyzes all the data it's collected and says, okay, this is the next program that's best for you. And it also dynamically changes during the program to figure out what your next workout should be. Um, and we put a lot of effort into making the app very motivating and engaging. Um, so I think that that was a, a, a real change in the industry. Um, we have 30, 30 options that you can load on there. Uh, the app is fun to interact with. It's, it's super motivating. And, you know, we've got uh, about 25,000 people using it now, over 12 million swings. And we've got a ton of data that's really just made the app even better. Um, yes, we're constantly reevaluating the, the programming. And what uh, what it can do for a, for a guy like Fitzpatrick, he was, you know, ball speed was mid 160s. And over the course of 2021 at Pebble, um, he went from mid 160s to averaging 181 at the Tour Championship. That was his average driver speed for all drivers for that uh, that tournament. Um, so you you know that's just absolutely uh, game changing. I mean, it was the reason why he won. You know the tipping point for why he won the, the U.S. Open. Um, he was the there was a par four drivable par four on the Sunday uh, last year. He was the only player to drive the green. You know 181 ball speed. It was kind of cold and windy. Um, Rory didn't drive the green. You know that. that all those long hitters, he was the guy that put the ball in the green. So uh, it was a, it was really a tipping point for him to bring his career to the next level. What was the catalyst for you coming up with the stack system to begin with? I mean, where talk me through the thought process of, okay, obviously you do a ton of research. You're, you're not throwing darts at a board and hoping that you hit the target. I mean, there there's your, your guess I'm guessing, but with your background, these aren't, you know, uneducated guesses. You're like, okay, here's, here's the information. So how did you go about coming up with a way to attack gaining speed? Sure. So I've got what I call a deterministic model in my mind, you know, things that you can do. Here's Claude Harmon. What can we do to increase his clubhead speed? We got mechanics, we've got physical training, we've got, uh, you know, maybe just actually your effort level. You know, there's, there's certain things that we can do knobs that we can move to increase your, your club head speed and physical training is a big knob and overload over speed is the biggest way to crank that knob um you know so you can get stronger in the gym you get more flexible but the the, the most efficient way to get faster is overload and over speed and, and uh i took a fundamentally different approach from what was currently out there coming from my track and field background track and field is very scientific um and I was a, a multi-event athlete at university, competing in track and field. And we would do overload and overspeed training. Um, if, if I was running 111 seconds, 100 meters and 11 seconds, and my training partner was running 100 meter and 11 seconds, but he was 40 pounds heavier, we would have very different sled weights that we would tow, even though we were trying to run uh, at a certain, the same kind of percentage change in our speed, or the tension in a bungee cord that was pulling us would be different. So when I approached overload and overspeed, I said the, the same thing. It wasn't you and I are going to swing the same weight. We need to swing a weight that's going to have a swing at a certain percentage of our driver speed. Um, so that's how I approached the research and iteratively went through experiment after experiment over years saying, okay, um, what weight's too heavy? What weight, you know, if we, if we, if we have you swinging at only 85% of your club head speed, so we got a lot of weight on there. 
do we still see gains? No. So we fine tune and, and to figure, okay, well, what percentage of your speed is too slow to see gains? What about at the other end? What, what percentage of speed is too fast before we stop seeing improvements uh, in clubhead speed? Should you mix overload and overspeed uh, in the same program? Maybe you should do three months of overload and then three months of overspeed. Should you do them in the same session? So we iteratively started ticking these off. How do I know if Claude's program should have more overload in it or should it have more overspeed in it, right? So the, the research started getting more uh, fine-tuned um, to eventually the point where I started applying it to uh, tour players. So Padraig Harrington was one of the first people to do it. I met with him at TPI um, 2016. <laughs> and at that time, um, I was using lead tape on the end of a driver shaft, you know, and it was, it maybe wasn't the safest thing. Um, and then uh, started working with that much of you uh, know, Kevin Duffy used to work with um, yeah, yeah. Tommy Fleetwood, yeah. longtime trainer of Louis Eustace and Lee Westwood. So um, he started using with his players. He started seeing results. <laughs> um, GMAC was another person. I thought, you know what? Okay. This, this is ready to develop into a system. Um, and I have some very good relationship with folks at Ping and Marty Jertsen, um, who's, who's awesome. Uh, he was kind of the final, um, you know, link in the chain. Well, even more so than that, it wouldn't happen without him, but, um, he did some of this overload overspeed stuff and he went from like 112 to mid 120s and ended up making the cut at Beth Page Black when the PJ championship there, when Brooks when Brooks won it. <clears throat> yep. um, so this, you know, this is an engineer at Ping who's now uh, a, an elite driver of the golf ball in terms of speed at the PGA tour level. So he's like, Hey, this really works. Um, and he said, well, you know, what do you, what do you need? What do you need these design specs to be? So he designed it. Um, and yeah, we've, we've got this great product and we brought in an awesome app person, the guy that, you know, did a lot of the, the TrackMan app. So yeah, fantastic. I saw a quote that you said the problem with the USGA and the RNA with um, the distance issue is they can't legislate around the athlete. And I, I saw Martin Slumbers at the, at the, uh, the masters this year. Um, he was talking to my dad. My dad was asking about the ball rollback and everything. And I mean, you said that you can't have speed without science. It's not art, but what I don't re think people realize is hitting the golf ball far. There is a skill to that. And the skill comes from, understanding how you do that, right? And I've always said, Sasha, that I think it's I think it's incredibly naive from the governing body standpoint. Everybody says the golf ball goes too far, the golf ball goes too far, the driver goes too far, the driver goes too far. I was with Dustin Johnson hit watching him hit balls today. If it would to me, if it was the technology and the technology alone, and I've been saying this for a while, then I should be able to pick up DJ's driver that he was driving with today, with the shaft that he uses, with the ball that he uses and carry it 315, 320 in the air like he can. And if I pick up his driver, I'm going to carry it 215, 220 in the air because one, I don't have the body that he's blessed with, but also I just think if it was technology, if it was just the balls and the drivers, then everybody would hit the golf ball the same distance. Matt Fitzpatrick would have never had to go down the stack system because he should be able to pick up the same ball, the same driver that Rory's using and say, okay, I can get all the same equipment. And if it was just the equipment, it should go the same distance. Right. 
Well, there's, there's a whole host of issues with the way uh, the USGA and the RNA approached um, the concept. Is it even a problem? That, that's, I think, fundamentally, what are we fixing? So what, what I think they should have done to start out was said, let's get specific. Show me some golf courses and show me some holes on golf courses where the ball is going too far. And then you decide, okay, this is a problem. Now, what do we do to address that? Because the, the vast majority of golfers on the vast majority of courses, there clearly isn't an issue because the USGA is also pushing at the same time, tee it forward, right? <laughs> right. So th- there's, a, there's a fundamental <laughs> issue there. And, and then once you decide on, okay, let, let's take St. Andrews. Right. I think that would have to be the flag. I would assume the flagship. Here's the course where the there's a big problem. You know, well, I don't know. The last few times it's been at St. Andrews. I thought we had great tournaments. Right. Like if, if you if you look at Cam Smith's win, we've got Rory hunting him down. We've got Cameron Young hunting him down. Mm-hmm. It was very exciting. Uh, in, in my opinion, maybe some people thought that the scores were too low. Well, the weather was really very mundane. Golf, golf is in tr- it's an outdoor sport. So if you give the best players the best condition with not a lot of wind and not a lot of rain, they're going to shoot low scores. And then you look at what happened at the Senior Open Championship over the weekend where you have these catastrophic wind conditions and plus five plays off. So, and they've still got the same equipment that the USGA and the RNA says goes too far. They say the ball goes too far and the driver goes too far and guys are you know, nine over and they're in the top five. Yes. So, so, so my, my <laughs> fundamental issue, and I, and I think I could, you know, um, do a good job of, of proving this point is that, uh, and the USG had a hard time understanding this when I tried to make the point is that <laughs> the limiting factor is, is not club head speed and ball speed. The limiting factor is how far the ball is going. And so, and I, I had tried to make this point in a few ways. If, if you look at the average club head speed on tour, 115 miles per hour, and even look at some of the faster guys swinging in the, you know, low to mid twenties, <clears throat> there's a dozen guys at my course in Antigonish, Nova Scotia that easily have tour level club head speed, right? And th- there are thousands and thousands of them everywhere. But you never see that in other professional sports. No one has the physical skills. If you just go randomly to your local uh, softball diamond or, you know, a <laughs> slow pitcher, no one is throwing 95 mile an hour pitches. It's just not happening, right? They're throwing 80, 75. So where I'm going with this is that, at the perf- that we're really not meeting the potential currently uh, at the elite level in golf. Because of how far the golf ball currently goes, it means that hitting it 400 yards is not going to be optimal given the dispersion that's going to be associated with that. So if you said, okay, Rory, DJ, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tony Finnell would probably be the best example. And you go, okay, here's a ball that if with your current swing speed, you're going to lose 20 yards. Overnight, Tony Finnell is going to go from swing at 118 to 124, and he's going to carry that ball exactly where he's carrying it now. Rory's going to do the same thing. Brian Harmon probably can't, right? But but eventually then, the guys coming, the 
Gord Sargent's, the guys coming up through NCAA, that's who's going to be in there now because they're just waiting. They just hope that the average club at speed can move up to 125. It can't right now because of the distance the golf ball does go at those speeds and the dispersion associated with that, right? So, so the PGA, the, the USGA was doing the, the, this research and making these assumptions based on the current technology, not realizing that, yeah, well, what happens if, if we, if we actually are now playing with this ball, will club head speeds stay the same? No, they'll increase overnight. There'll be, there'll be big jumps because guys have that potential. And in order to get a different golf ball that doesn't go as far, they're going to try and hit it further to get it to go further. Right. All of a sudden, it, it's still optimal from a dispersion <laughs> and distance perspective and the way courses are set up to probably be around for most courses, where the average distance is right now, right? It may, may be a little bit further, but it, it, you know, it, you, you won't see if you made a super hot golf ball, right? And, and a crazy hot driver. And you said, all right, let's go play uh Harbor town. You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see driving distance go up and there's a reason why guys still pull three wood, you know, on 18, you're not going to see driving distance yeah. increase one yard. No, and the other thing is that I think that some of the governing bodies, I think they're, in my opinion, they're very out of touch with modern athletes, right? Because they're not modern athletes, right? They're country club players. They played the golf. So I don't think they understand how elite modern golfers that play golf for a living how good they really are. And again, that goes back to my point, because if, if it was just the technology, everybody would hit. And if it was just, I mean, like you said, Gordon Sargent, the kid that, that was leading, there are players that are playing that have over 120, but they're not winning every single tournament. And Brian Harmon still won a major two weeks ago. And he doesn't have 120 ball speed he doesn't i mean or one 185 ball speed and 120 mile per hour club head speed he doesn't come close to that so do you think that there's a push because the governing bodies are are worried about golf courses are they worried about the sport i mean they always say it's becoming too easy but I'm on tour 30 weeks a year. The sport doesn't look any easier to me today than it looked 25 years ago. No. And, and that's, that, that's what I think one of the reasons why the PGA tour was like, yeah, we're not going to accept this is because people want to see better. They want to see records. No, no one, you know, wants to see players that can't play as, you know, as well as somebody did 10 years ago. No one wants to see the, basketball neck up to 11 feet not see any dunks you know um that wouldn't be that wouldn't be entertaining and at the same time one of their big their biggest mandate i think is grow the game um and if, if you make it harder that's not going to grow the game there's a reason why pickleball I, I you know i've said this a few times is taking off because tennis is quite hard relative to pickleball Pickleball has found the sweet spot um, where it's like, hey, we can have rallies, 
you know, I can pick up this game, figure it out in a couple of days, and I can have some rallies and have some fun. Tennis is pretty hard, you know. Um, now, is pickleball going to replace tennis um, at the elite level? No, probably not. Um, but if you're trying to get more people to play golf, <clears throat> don't make it harder, you know. I've, I've, on the home course that I play in Antigonish, there's a bunker that's 210 to carry, and probably 15% of our membership can carry it, you know. Um, no one no one needs to hit the ball shorter and there's no way that's another flaw with having the the the, the change in the model local rule motor local rule is um it would eventually trickle down to everybody you know there's there's no way for that not to happen tour players play the ball well then the ncaa players are going to play it if they're playing it at the you know the u.s amateur then the guys are going to want to play it before they go to the u.s amateur which means it's going to be in club championships which means if it's in NCAA, then the kids in high school have to play it. And then in their local junior tours are going to have to play it. It's just, there's no way it stays just at the elite level. Yeah. And, and I listen to, you know, the governing bodies talk about how easy the game is. But when I'm not on the road at tour events, I give lessons eight hours a day. I still give lessons to regular handicapped golfers. I don't see any of these people not coming and taking lessons because the game's just so easy now, Right. I still, you know, I've been, I've been teaching golf most of my adult life. I still see the average golfer struggle to get a three wood in the air. I still see the average golfer struggle to take a divot with anything past a nine iron. I still see the average golfer struggle with contact, getting the golf ball airborne, using your tennis and pickleball analogy. I see a lot of golfers that struggle to get from a tennis standpoint, they struggle to get the ball over the net consistently. You know, Novak Djokovic, there's a term in tennis called unforced errors. If, if he has a lot of unforced errors, he can't outwinner the unforced errors, right? No matter how great he is. And I still see the average golfer, the, the regular everyday golfer, having an enormous amount of unforced errors. And there's I think this perception from the governing bodies that the game is just so, so easy. And Sasha, at the elite level, DJ's irons are unhittable, right? He's got the smallest, the best players use the hardest equipment to hit. They're not using the equipment that's going to help them hit it 40 yards further with their irons, right? Most of the guys that are elite, elite ball strikers on the PGA Tour are using equipment that is, you know, it's very difficult for regular people to hit these clubs because the sweet space, the, the sweet spot is small. The size of the clubs are small. I mean, Ricky Fowler came out with a set of irons two years ago and they, they I mean, they look like thimbles. They were, they were so hard to hit. Um, yeah, I mean, my I've got a set of my grandfather's irons that he played with in the 40s and you know the lofts on these clubs versus the lofts on them today are very very different where do you see do you where do you see distance in 10 years five years 10 years i mean do you think it continues because i've talked to dave phillips about this and he's been on the pod before and he said he thinks there's a rate of diminishing return with club head speed and ball speed at the elite level to where, as you said, the the car is just too fast to keep on the road for the track that they want you to drive it on. 
it's yeah, it could go three. It's 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 a drag racer, but it has no ability to have maneuverability, and you can't keep it on on the track. Do you do you see speed gains continue to go up, and do you see that we're going to get to a plateau to where you're saying, okay, if you go any higher in speed, clubhead speed and ball speed, it becomes very difficult to compete and play the sport the way the sport is designed to be played. Yeah. 100%. Um, because the limiting factor right now, why club head speed isn't higher is not because the players can't swing faster. It's because of what happens at the distances associated with those club head speeds. Uh, the, the, the dispersion gets too large. So I, I mean, I would tackle this if it is a problem through course design um, and, and there's clues all over the place. You just have to, if, if you just did a search through ShotLink and you'd say, Hey, wh- where are some long par fours where the yard, where the distance off the tee is below average, right? Okay. We, we got a 460 yard par four, you know, a little longer than average. Why is everybody hitting this one short? Let's go see how this hole's designed. You know, like things, things like the, and depending on the hole, I'm no, golf course architect guru, but depending on the whole, you have options to, 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 to make, if you're going to hit it far, you have to be super skilled. I, I would, you, you should never be thinking of this from a, we, we want to prevent anybody from trying to hit the ball far. Like don't, don't put like, uh, you know, at 300 yards <clears throat> creeks, you know, that are 40 yards wide across the fairway. No, that that's not the way to do it. I think if somebody can go out there and shoot 54 and hit the ball 340 yards on a rope every time, that that's awesome. That 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 good for them. That's what I want to see in golf. That is the ultimate performance. So what you can do, you know, some of the lines that Bryson started taking, right? If you don't want Bryson to go across uh, six, is it six at Bay Hill? Yeah, six at Bay Hill. You know, you, you, you do something real easy. It doesn't ruin the hole at all. You just plant a 20-foot pine tree that's not even in view. It's just off to the left, right? Just so that if right, if you're like, hey, I want people to go down this chute, no problem. 20-foot pine tree, it's not near the tee box. But in order for you to get a driver up 20 feet over the course of 20 yards, good luck, right? But it doesn't ruin the aesthetics of the hole. There's lots of holes like that at, uh, you know, Augusta, right, where you're forced to go down a chute. Or, hey, hey, if you're playing like a Lynx style and, the you know, there, there's plenty of awesome, awesome Lynx holes, examples of this where you don't want to have random pine trees, you fire some gorse bushes, uh, you know, between 290 and 340 <laughs> and a couple of pop bunkers. <clears throat> hey, you want to take the risk of going driver and if you can put it down the fairway and avoid the gorse and the bunkers, good for you. But and you should be rewarded for that skill. Um, so I think there's there's more intelligent ways to do it than if you b- perceive there to be a problem um, than by just trying to slow the ball down, which I don't think will solve the problem at all. Um, you would have to slow it down a ridiculous amount, not 20 yards. You'd have to slow it down like 50 yards. And then you would never see Brian Har- a guy like Brian Harmon win the Open. You would basically say you can only play this sport if you've got 130 club head speed. And there will be enough of those guys. Who can who can play golf with 130 club head speed and hit the ball 
uh, 300 yards with 130 mile an hour clubhead speed. That's the way it would eventually go, which is not there. They, you know, USGA and RNA certainly doesn't want that to happen. I don't think. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my That's my dance, <laughs> We talked about practice. Um, you've partnered with Rapsodo with their new launch monitor to come up with um, their version of the combine. Um, 24 shots. You know, talk me through when you when when a company says to you, okay, we want you to come up with this, do you approach it in the same way that we've talked about from the speed standpoint? How did you come up with what was what you felt was going to be um, really advantageous for players to work on from a combine standpoint. I mean, there's other launch monitors out there that have their version, but how did you come up with your idea on, okay, how can we challenge people in a combine environment with a launch monitor to help them perform and get the most out of their practice and the most out of their game? 
Yeah. So I, I was really excited to do this because um, I have the ways that I think are best to practice. And I like practice to, there was a lot of constraints in it. I want, I want practice to also be uh, insightful from an analytic standpoint. So not only are, are you maximizing your improvement, but then the results you get, you can learn a lot about your game. Um, and I want it to be, uh, you know, if you look at the market that Rapsodo is targeting, yeah, there's going to be some elite golfers, but the majority of them, like who's going to, and they've got this, uh, the, the uh, MLM2 Pro has got an awesome price point. Yeah. So anybody who's serious about their game, uh, you know, on a budget can go out and get it and they can use it at their range. That's what I was thinking about. Okay, if you go to the, the people grinding it out at all the ranges across, uh, you know, the United States, North America, all over the place, that you could go get a typical <laughs> bag of balls. There's 40 balls in there. Okay. And you probably got 40 minutes max. So you do some warm up. So I wanted the, the combine to be 30 shots. There's six balls of warm up, right, to get the cobwebs out. And then you've got three targets. Two of them are iron targets. So you can, you know, set the distance somewhere between 50 yards and whatever your furthest iron goes. So you pick two targets and then you always have a driving target. So it's a very well rounded experience. You hit two shots, you hit in blocks of two. So you go two shots to the short target first, right? Because every. You could go completely random and go one, 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 but you don't want to be switching clubs all the time. That's annoying. And everybody wants at least, especially in practice, can I get, just let me hit one more. Yeah, let me hit one more. Right? <laughs> I got to hit one more. So you hit in blocks of two, but then you go through uh, four rounds. So you get eight shots at each, at each target. And that, that, that's really critical. Some people would say, well, why not add more targets? Why only three targets? You need a certain number of shots at a target to get meaningful statistics. So, Eight shots with the variability of someone who might be up to a 20 handicap, you need at least eight to start to get insights on, okay, well, what is your average carry distance? What is your dispersion? And we relate those to a handicap. So put a lot of effort into being like, okay, if this is your dispersion at this particular distance, then this is your handicap level. So you can start to say, well, I'm a, you know, you know what your handicap is in the course. I'm a 10, but shoot to a 60 yard target. I'm a 18. Okay, I got to work on that. And, and then, you know, everybody wants to hit driver. So you, 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 you've also got that driving target there where you could pick your driver, a three wood, could be a hybrid, could be a driving iron for that round. And what's cool is then you can start to, you know, um, the, 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 there's the intelligence built into the combine where if you pick out your first target, you know, your first combine's 50 yards, 100 yards, and your driver. Well, then it's going to say, hey, Claude, you know what? Um, we notice that you hit these clubs to those targets. We're going to suggest these different targets. So we start to even out your bag. Hey, you know what? You haven't hit any six irons yet. But the, but and, and then we start to get information on gapping. Okay, now that you know you've done five or six combines, now we know what your average distance is with all these clubs. So we could recommend, hey, you know what? Uh, looks like maybe you want to uh, decrease <laughs> the loft on your 54 because you've got a big gap between your 54 and your 58 as an example. Um, and there's all sorts of cool insights. So it's, we're, we're maximizing performance, but also getting a lot of insights in, in a tight little combine that the majority of people could benefit from tour player hitting 24 balls in this combine is going to learn a lot. So will, um, the high handicapper. Yeah. And I think one of the great things, and one of the reasons <clears throat> why I've, I've partnered and, and, and do stuff with rap soda as well is. So much in golf, <clears throat> the tech 
has been at a price point that is, I mean, I, I see these 16 year old kids that, that, you know, show up for a golf lesson and they've got a track man. Oh, my dad got me a track man for, for Christmas. I'm like, he basically just bought you a $30,000 car. Right. I mean, just, I mean, the, the price point for a lot of the tech has been so prohibited that only the elite of the elite. I mean, I teach a girl on the LPJ, Marina Alex, and, and Marina's won on the LPGA. She's played on the Solheim Cup. And when I first started working with her, um, we got some launch monitor. You know, I, I put her on a launch monitor just to see what she was doing. I was like, do you have your own track man? She's like, I can't afford a track man, right? She's a professional athlete that was saying, listen, the, the price point is just too prohibitive. So I think it's great that we're starting to see some of the tech in golf that the best players in the world are using start to come down so that everyday golfers who don't have twenty, thirty, fifteen thousand dollars to to invest, there's ways that they can use the same technology and the same information that they see the best players in the world using. And like you said, what I really like about the combine is it's almost got some AI in it to where it's it's helping you as the player learn as you go along based off of what it's seeing you do. And like you said, if you put enough data in, it's going to start to see trends and kind of see what you're doing. And I think that is just so, so important for a 15 handicapper to say, listen, maybe you don't need to improve based, maybe you don't have the time to massively improve but if you can just have a better understanding as to what you do and do what you do all the time, right? Okay, this is how far you hit your nine iron. Rather than try to hit your nine iron further, maybe you try and make sure that you can hit your nine iron at this baseline number all the time. And that's where I think information for a lot of people listening is, is power because if you can just know what you do, and not try and fundamentally change what you do and say, okay, listen, I'm never going to be Rory McIlroy. I'm never going to be Scotty Scheffler. I am who I am and I'm a 15 handicapper. Yeah, I want to putt better. Yeah, I want to hit better. But if I can get a really good understanding as to what I do and how far I hit the golf ball. I mean, DJ was hitting balls today. He was going back and forth between trying out a different wedge. And, you know, I don't think people listening realize I mean, he can tell you within a yard of how far it went without looking at the launch monitor. He can be within 100 RPMs of the spin, and he'll go, yeah, that one was a little bit off the toe, so that's going to... And I think if the regular everyday golfer just knew what they did, it would help them tremendously, and they wouldn't have to make as many massive changes as they think if they could just have a better relationship with the truth of what they do. Well, I, I, yeah, I think that it it, it, it provides eye-opening information to most people when you, you, you realize that your nine iron distance is not that one nine iron you flushed off the tee downwind. Um, yeah, you, you, where you're like, yeah, I can hit my, I, I can hit my nine iron 150, but in the Rapsodal Combine, it's telling me that I'm 142. Right. So if, if I've got if I've got water to carry at 145, I don't want 50 percent of my shots. <laughs> I better pull exactly. an eight iron. Right. Um, and, and it sets expectations, too, in terms of uh, dispersions. So, you know, people think, OK, I've got 80 yards. I should have a birdie putt. 
but you look at your 80 yard target on Rapsodo and all of a sudden you go, wait, my average, pro my average proximity is 25 feet. Well, that means I've got a whole lot over 25 feet. Yeah. I've got a few in there that are birdie putts. So I think, I think it can help people enjoy the game because it maybe sets their expectations at a reasonable level. Well, listen, I think, uh, you know, at the elite level, but also at the everyday golfer level, level that, that the majority of the people listening to this are, 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 are at, um, just managing your expectations and having a better understanding as to what you do, um, you know, I think is huge. We could sit, Sasha. I mean, there are so many things I didn't get to. Um, I, I've got another list. So we're going to get you back on because, I mean, I, I read all the stuff that you're doing. I've got so many questions. We will get you back on the pod, um, you know, at a later date to talk more about it because um, I think the work you're doing is, is, is amazing. And um, to see... and. And, and I think you've been lucky enough to see it. When when I saw Matt after he won the U.S. Open, I, I said to him, it's a couple of weeks later, I think it was at the British, or I saw him at St. Andrews last year. I said, listen, I've been around golf pretty much my whole life, and, and you won't find someone that works harder than that kid. Um, if, there's a, if there's a stone that he can turn over, he's going to turn it over to try and get better. And, and I think the work that you've done with him has been fun to watch, so... Congrats not only to him, but congrats to you as well. And um, for everyone listening, if you want to hit the golf ball further, put some money in, in Doc's pocket and go get the stack system because uh, it will definitely help you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, we will definitely get you back on the pod again soon. Okay. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure. So that was Sasha McKenzie. And listen, if you, if you want to try and hit the golf ball further, um, I think he's got some data and some some info that can help you do it he's got a product that'll help you do it so the stack system uh, some of the best players in the world are they're using it and if you want to hit the golf ball further give it a try i don't think you will be disappointed uh so we've got a lot of great guests coming up but we've got a lot of great guests um that have been on the pod so if you're new um go back take a look we've got some great interviews um everything's designed to try and help your game get better, maybe teach you some things you didn't know. But ultimately, the whole goal of this pod is to try and have everybody enjoy their golf more. So I can't thank everybody enough for listening. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. We will see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. 
These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, Secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.